to Behind the Headlines, the weekly SilicogaNews.com podcast where we take you behind the stories that we tell and report here at SilicogaNews.com. I'm your host, Michael Brannon. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of 2022. Of course, in the news here for the last few weeks, Omicron and the uptick in COVID cases across the United States. Here joining us today, CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center, Glenn Sisk, sitting down with me to talk about all things healthcare, all things COVID, vaccines, you name it. We're taking a deep dive and we'll have him joining us here in just a few minutes here on Behind the Headlines. Stay tuned. to Behind the Headlines, the weekly SilicogaNews.com podcast where we take you behind the stories we tell and report here at SilicogaNews.com. I'm your host, Michael Brannon. Joining me on today's episode, CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center, Glenn Sisk. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. So we, of course, have all sorts of things to, to talk about. I think the last time that you and I talked uh, was several months ago, and, and a lot has changed in the world of health and health care and different things of that nature. But first, before we get into all of that in terms of COVID and vaccines and you name it, an unusual question, if you will, what keeps you up at night? Well, uh, perhaps an unusual question, but a very good question uh, <laughs> to start off with. You know, I, I think, um, uh, as I tell our team, uh, the most important thing that we do every day is um, wake up and meet people at their point of need. What can we do to assist you and your family uh, when, when you have challenges, um, whether that is uh, as a patient, uh, whether that uh, is as a friend, a family member, et cetera. And uh, the, the challenges associated with healthcare today are probably unprecedented in our history. So, you know, I worry maybe is too strong a word, but, but I do have concerns about staffing levels and uh, our ability to, to be able to respond quickly uh, uh, on the business side of healthcare, there's always concerns about do we have enough capital access to continue to be able to grow the business the way we need to with resources and that sort of thing. So we think about those things a lot. We talk about them a lot, but hopefully our preparation and the execution of our work allow us to do that effectively and, and ensure that Coosa Valley remains strong for the future. You mentioned just there, uh, which is one of my second questions coming up here, you talked about staffing, current staffing. The new CDC guidelines say five days, not 14. Uh, that, I would imagine, gives you a little bit of leeway uh, and, and a little bit better of an opportunity to bring folks back who may have been exposed to COVID. It does, Michael. I think you're right. And uh, I think what that indicates to us is that what we're seeing with the Omicron variant is it's not quite as significant in terms of the symptoms that we saw with the initial wave and then uh, with the Delta variant. So we're thankful that those guidelines have been uh, relaxed somewhat, that we can bring people back. And that's exactly what we're seeing with our staff members and many of the people who come uh, primarily into our emergency department that are uh, testing positive. And that is that uh, uh, some body aches, some headaches, uh, perhaps some low-grade fever, uh, runny noses, et cetera. But what we're not seeing is the hospitalization rate going up as high as we did before. With, with the current COVID wave affecting so many people, is it affecting scheduled uh, surgeries or elective 
surgeries. I know back in 2020 and 2021 early, uh, that was the case, and, and people were, were putting those things off. How about now? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, when things began in the spring of 2020, um, the state and really uh, the federal government uh, suggested to hospitals, and, and didn't suggest but dictated to hospitals that uh, those things would be delayed. And in many cases, we, we just had to absolutely stop, which was a concerning time because uh, care that needed to be delivered was being delayed. Uh, wasn't good for the business of healthcare, um, but that has not been the case. I think, uh, especially in the state of Alabama, our governor and attorney general have been very aggressive about. We want to keep business open. We want to continue to do the things we need to do. We need to make good decisions. We need to be careful. We need to take precautions. But at this point, in terms of the business operations and the care that's being delivered at CVMC, nothing is interrupted. Um, a lot of ERs being overrun with patients wanting to be tested for COVID. How do you combat that? Because I know, you know, the, the narrative is typically don't go to the ER for COVID testing. Yeah. How do you do that? And what does that landscape look like? Well, um, certainly that is a part of our messaging. Uh, and you may have seen that the Alabama Hospital Association has been appealing to Alabama residents to not use the emergency department as a source of testing. Now, uh, we are, in fact, using the emergency department as a source of testing. Uh, we're not turning people away who have symptoms and uh, wish to be tested. What I would say is the challenge comes here. If we have an acute need in the emergency department, for example, an unfortunate circumstance with a, uh, a car accident, uh, someone comes in with an acute um, uh, cardiac event or what have you, uh, that has to be our priority at that moment in time as opposed to someone who sees their priority being tested for COVID. We understand that, it's human nature, and we want to respond to that appropriately. But we do ask that if people are coming in not feeling well, and primarily their intention is to be tested, that they will understand that at some points in time, uh, the COVID testing uh, will potentially fall in line behind some of those more acute needs. So when we look at the testing from 2020, 2021, now just you know recently into 2022, is there any indication that things, and, and I understand that you are not a, a medical doctor, you're, you're on the business side, of course, and you're being, uh, you're being educated on what the medical doctors are telling you in that field, but are there any big differences between what has been being tested for in terms of COVID and flu and any confusion of, among the, uh, the, the, the testing positivity rate in that, in that world? Yeah, and uh, thanks for making that clarification because you don't want me to do you, you don't want me making decisions <laughs> for you as it relates to COVID in your care. Uh, thankfully, we have some fantastic physicians who lead that effort and some nurses that execute those, Absolutely. those plans. You've got um, a great staff for sure. Thank you, um, and, and, and I echo that. Um, what I would say to you is for a period of time last year, we were testing with our laboratory partners what variant uh, of COVID uh, people were, um, were experiencing. We really stopped doing that, really at the direction of the laboratories. The cost associated with that was, was significant. And really, uh, once that was determined, there was no plan of care changes that took place as a result of you have this variant, you have uh, that variant. So today, the testing is just for COVID positive or not. Uh, and depending on... Regardless of the variant is correct. what you're saying. So correct. any... So is, is there... I guess my, my question is, how do you determine whether it's the original strain of COVID, Delta, Omicron, or what, what, whatever it may be next? Is there yeah. a way? Well, last year, laboratories were doing that. 
Yeah. Today, they are not. Uh, and, and the reason for that is the way the treatment is being uh, handled accordingly doesn't change. Uh, so let's take you and I. If we come into the emergency department today and we test positive and I have a runny nose, but I'm positive, they send me home to quarantine and that's it. You have uh, more significant symptoms, uh, shortness of breath, et cetera. Uh, then you may end up uh, receiving the, uh, the infusion uh, while you're there or soon thereafter, hopefully within 24 hours. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the, the variant really doesn't matter in terms of which one uh, you've been tested positive for. It's really the symptoms that we're more concerned with. And I will say this, um, we are not in control of uh, the infusion supply that uh, is provided to us uh, at government levels. And that has been, Michael, a real challenge for us. Uh, just this week, we've been very, very low with the number of infusions that are available to us. And uh, again, we want to uh, ask your uh, listeners to to hang with us. We're working very, very hard. Our pharmacy is in touch every day, trying to do everything they can to secure the supply that's necessary to be able to respond. But from time to time, uh, shortages have continued to be an issue. You're talking about the monoclonal antibodies yes. specifically. You, you, you said there that you're not in charge of what you get. What is that process like for people who may not know that? Because I, I know you're asking people, hey, bear with us, because if that's the treatment that you're looking to get and, and you can't get it, of course, it's something that you may not be able to offer at the moment. Why is that? Well, uh, it's a supply and demand issue primarily. Uh, it's like why we can't get styrofoam cups. It's mm -hmm. like when someone wants to go buy a new car, they can't find a new car. You want to go get a boat, you can't find a boat, et cetera. So it's a supply and demand issue. Um, fortunately, uh, we have been able to keep up, at least the suppliers have been able to keep up uh, with the vaccines, and we're well ahead of that at this point in time. But our ability to respond uh, from a supply perspective uh, with, uh, with the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies as it relates to the infusions has been hugely, hugely challenging. And as you know, uh, we have a labor uh, uh, situation in this country, unlike we've probably seen in our lifetime. Um, it's difficult to find people working every day. Uh, you see restaurants closing early, opening later, uh, retail establishments that, uh, that aren't available to us as, as, as we would like for them to be, ordering things online, UPS and FedEx are uh, losing things and not ordering uh, and not delivering things on time. So uh, the same holds true in, in getting access to infusions. It's, it's a primarily just a supply and demand issue. So for the for the people out there who may say, oh, that's a that, that the government is 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 pressing that and, and keeping that from hospitals in certain areas, you're saying no to that. It's it's a it's a supply issue today. I would say that is correct. Uh, six months ago, I would say that your, your previous characterization is right. The government was dictating that certain hospitals would receive certain levels based on their historical utilization. But today, the government has essentially stepped out of the way, and, and it's a function of being able to identify those through, through suppliers. We're talking with Glenn Sis, the CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center. Uh, Glenn, uh, again, thank you for, for taking the time out to talk with us about such important issues. I want to get into something that you mentioned earlier uh, in, your, in your first question, in your first answer to me. You were talking about capital access. I assume in that, in that term, you're talking about funding for operating the hospital. What would you say to people who say, oh, you know, the more COVID cases who, that are announced, the more funding hospitals get. What does that 
what does that narrative look like, and how do you explain that? Well, um, we won't get too deep into the economics of, of healthcare and life in general, but what I would say is this. Um, for someone who indicates that COVID has been good for hospitals because it creates more volume and more business, uh, that is, in fact, accurate. We have more uh, patients that come into our emergency department today. Historically, uh, we'll have more admissions as a result of COVID than the days prior to COVID. However, the cost associated with providing care to those COVID patients and any patient that comes into the hospital these days is, is very, very significant, not only on the supply side, but on the labor side. Uh, if you drive probably on the treatment side as well. Absolutely. I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you drive through town today and I noticed this morning McDonald's has a sign up that their starting rate of pay is $14 an hour. Good for McDonald's employees. That's a great thing. But that's a cost issue that that organization is having to deal with. And, and likewise, on the hospital side, we're doing the same. Uh, nursing rates of pay are uh, escalating at levels that we've not seen. Uh, you see nurses that are leaving employment with their hospital, whether that's at Coosa Valley, UAB, uh, Citizens Baptist, et cetera, and going into travel uh, nursing arrangements, which essentially takes a rate of pay and triples it. So the cost of providing care on the supply side, the treatment side, and the labor side is really at a, at a level that's as high as we've seen. The The monies that come from that, when you say that, you know, you, you did say that it does help in some regard, is, is that money coming from city, county, state, federal government? Is it coming from the ph pharmaceutical companies? Are you at liberty to even say? Sure, yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Historically, hospitals have survived on traditional methods of payment, which primarily would be Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial insurance. And in our case, in, in, in Sylacauga, Coosa Valley, about 51% of our payments come from Medicare, which is those 65 and over generally, uh, about 22% or so from Medicaid. Uh, for the most part, that's sort of a mom and child program. It's very, very hard to qualify for Medicaid as a working adult here um, in Alabama. Hence, while we would love to see Medicaid expanded in the state, um, we're one of the few states who's not done that, and, and that has created some hardships for us that other states have been able to avoid. And then about 20 or 21 percent of our volume comes through uh, the commercial insurance uh, that everyone is familiar with at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Alabama. Uh, so those are sort of the traditional methods of funding. Uh, we have been uh, for a few years now at CVMC saying we can't continue to survive on just those traditional funding methods. We, we need help. We need third-party assistance help. And I will say uh, the federal government and state governments have been very good through the pandemic to provide that support. But that support is going away uh, very quickly and in most cases has gone away. So we will continue to work with uh, our local government here in Sylacauga, uh, our county commission uh, on a countywide level, and then pursue additional sources of funding that we believe that uh, today are sitting in coffers that uh, are really providing no value to city of Sylacauga to Talladega County that really should be put into play and uh, we look forward to working with elected officials to do just that. What would you say is the interest, the heightened interest when it comes to the amount of cases as opposed to the hospitalizations and death rate or death numbers uh, when looking at COVID overall? It seems like there's a there's always a, a heightened 
focus on oh there's this many cases but what about the hospitalizations and the and the deaths as well yeah uh, for perspective sure let's let's talk about two periods of time uh, when we think about the delta variant um, in august of 21 that was sort of the height of that period for us um, we were seeing inpatient hospitalizations on average between 20 and 25 positives on any given day um, had a separate unit set up just to provide care for those patients uh, this morning, uh, to bring that uh, to today's world, uh, we had six positive patients. Um, symptoms are far less. Uh, death rates are well, well down. However, the rate of spread between Delta and the Omicron variant are significantly different. In August of 21, we conducted 756 tests for COVID in our emergency department that month. Uh, we are on pace in January to conduct over 1,200. Wow. So you can see that the variant is spreading more rapidly. The good news is the symptoms are far less. Um, and one fear that I have, Michael, is that because the symptoms are less, we're not being as cautious as we once were. Death numbers are down, thankfully. Uh, but you don't see as many masks being worn. Uh, you don't see hand washing and hand sanitizing being uh uh, the priority that it was. I've always believed that we can, we should continue to keep the world open. We need to live our lives and do those kind of things that we need to do. But uh, but we need to continue to be very very committed to uh, to taking every precaution we can. What would you say to people who have started to politicize healthcare? Healthcare has, and I say started to. I think it has, in the last fifteen twenty years, probably been more politicized with social media and the way that everybody can now share their own opinion about healthcare in general. But over the last two years, what would you say to people who have started to politicize healthcare, put it in a box and put a Republican or a Democrat side to uh, what our frontline men and women are doing in emergency rooms and our nurses and our doctors are doing? Well, I think you've just encapsulated what has become one of the greatest travesties associated with healthcare, um, and that is the fact that it has been so heavily politicized in presidential elections and state elections, et cetera. Now, it's not been uncommon through the years that when you see someone running for office, they talk about priorities being education and healthcare sure. and that sort of thing. Uh, however, uh, at Thanksgiving this year, and at Christmas this year, um, if families would reflect on conversations that they had with their family and friends, uh, vaccines and health care and decisions that people are making associated with that probably became a bit of an electric conversation around the uh, Thanksgiving uh, lunch table. Um, so it is unfortunate. Uh, there are fantastic things that happen at the bedside that we never know about, not only here in Sylacauga, but all across the country. And for uh, political leaders to take the position that the cost of health care has skyrocketed and it's got to stop, um, well, we need to be talking about the cost of pharmaceuticals that we don't control, but we've got to continue to pay the, the costs associated with those in order to provide care for someone who comes into the organization. So uh, the, the, the cost of health care is not being driven by choices that we make because, frankly, we don't determine what we get paid. Federal government and commercial insurers determine this is what we're going to pay you for this diagnosis. The thing that we don't control that we need help with is the cost of doing business, the cost of MRI machines, the cost of CT scanners, the cost of pharmaceutical, 
drugs that continue to rise year after year. So it really has become politicized, and it's really unfortunate. That It's funny that you say that because that was one of my questions is, what do you need help with? And I think you, you just touched on that. But how do you get that help? Great question. And, and I don't know that we have a great answer. I don't expect to, yeah, I, I don't know that, uh, yeah, I expect to have you to have an answer for that. But yeah. I don't know if, I mean, is that something that you turn to your, you know, your, 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 your board for? Do, do you turn to, uh, you know, government for? Do you turn to the pharmaceuticals, the, the, the insurance companies? Yeah. Unfortunately, most of those decisions and most of that appeal for help doesn't happen at the local level. We're fortunate, uh, given the structure of CVMC today, to continue to be an independent hospital that gets to focus on the needs of this greater community and our geographic footprint. Um, that's not to suggest that, that systems that have been built with Six, eight, 10, 15 hospitals are not good and strong. It certainly is a structure that works. We have believed, however, that uh, remaining independent, as long as we've been able to do so, is good for this community. We're more nimble, we make decisions more quickly, and we're able to focus on what this community needs as opposed to what Birmingham or Montgomery or Atlanta uh, needs. So that's, that's been certainly a real positive. The reality is that most of the decisions associated with healthcare don't happen within uh, the uh, footprint of Montgomery don't happen within the footprint of Birmingham. Most of those decisions happen in Washington, D.C. So uh, we're fortunate to have leaders like Congressman Mike Rogers, who is here quite a bit, very engaged with us as it relates to health care decisions. Um, but we need support on the Senate side as well. Um, and, and I think um, through the work of the Alabama Hospital Association, that continues to be something that they focused on each day. And uh, we'll continue to chase solutions in that regard. Taking the taking the the Glenn Sisk approach here, and then also the hospital CEO approach here. You're human. Everybody, everybody that you work with is human. Have there been any tough ethical dilemmas or situations over the last two years that you have found yourself in, or even counterparts, other CEOs of other hospitals that you? talk with I'm sure you, uh, you you like to seek wise counsel as I do you know when you talk to your peers who have a similar position that you do have you have you found yourself or others in in uh, in those types of situations well I, I think the first thing that that question begs Michael is uh, a question of rationing of health care and if you look across the world there have been decisions in in certain countries and on certain continents where rationing of health care is something they do every day uh, the United States is not built that way. Uh, we, we don't have the mentality that um, that if I need something, that's got to wait or otherwise not be available to me. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, we're sort of 180 degrees from that in our belief of healthcare, and that is if I show up and I have a need, it best be taken care of right now. And, and that's the way we respond. Fortunately, and, and frankly, uh, you said uh, sort of look in your heart and in, in your head, uh, and with the beginning of this question, I feared that uh, with the onset of the pandemic, would we be in a situation where we had to think about rationing health care? Thankfully, that never occurred, and to date has not occurred. What I will tell you is that at the height of the Delta variant, there were times when uh, an emergency department that could handle 15 patients or so at a time, like we have here at CVMC, would have 29 patients at that moment in time who needed care. And because of limited staffing, uh, because of limited bed capability, 
we really struggled to find places for people to get care. And, and it became as simple as this. Um, many of us getting on the phone with colleagues and hospitals around us uh, to try to transfer patients out. And, and while it was encouraging to find a bed available in Mobile, Alabama, the thought of that family and that patient having to go to Mobile, Alabama for care, not, not ideal. Uh, so, so really uh, thankful that we never really had to ration healthcare, as I mentioned a moment ago, but having to move people outside of their home to provide care and find care, and in some cases even outside of the state borders, uh, created a, a real set of challenges for us. We're continuing our conversation with Glenn Sis, the CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center. Uh, Glenn, moving on here, uh, kind of into the, the last section uh, of our conversation talking about vaccines. Of course, vaccines, they, uh, the, the first ones came out to what, December, November of 2020, uh, within the same year that we first saw COVID uh, in the United States. Let's, let's look at this from a broad perspective for a moment. The mandates that have been coming out from, from the federal level, uh, where, where do you stand on that? And do you think that is something that should be enforced? What can you say about that? Let me answer that question first with my personal view, and then I will sh share with you the organizational view that our board and, uh, the, and the leadership of our organization has taken. Personally, I believe that vaccines are a good thing. Uh, I think vaccines work. Uh, we have seen, uh, on average, 90-plus percent of um, the patients that have become inpatients in hospitals, and that's been our case here at CVMC, or unvaccinated patients. I think that what that tells us is the vaccine works. I've always believed that in a healthcare setting where you are likely to be exposed to the virus far more routinely than someone working in another uh, field, uh, it makes a lot of sense to be vaccinated. That's my view. Now let's move to the corporate view uh, of CVMC, our board, our medical staff, et cetera. We have believed that people should have their own choice. Uh, if you want to be vaccinated, we're going to make it available to you. If you don't want to be vaccinated, we want you to help us help others take precautions to avoid transmission of the, of, of the, uh, of the disease if possible. We, we have about an 85% female workforce, many of whom are young, um, many of whom believe that uh, if not married, they'll one day do that and start their own family. And, and that's been probably the most significantly discussed matter. If I'm going to have a child in two years, do I really want to take the vaccine? Well, we don't know exactly what that looks like. So we've supported that. As it relates to the mandates, um, I, I, it creates a lot of challenges. Um, and, and, and what I think is really short-sighted is to say to a hospital or a physician clinic, you must vaccinate your employees. And then to say to Walmart, you don't have to. Well, there are more people that come in Walmart and Silicaga today that will, than will come in Coosa Valley Medical Center. So the risk is higher. Uh, and then from the employment perspective, to force us to stick a needle into an arm of someone that doesn't want it, they can say, well, you know what? I'm going to go work somewhere else. Uh, now, on the clinical side, nurses and physicians may not have that ability, um, but it, it's, it's a real challenge. And what's being discussed in the courts now with OSHA um, is very concerning to us because 
with the CMS mandate, we at least had the opportunity for people to opt out based on medical needs or religious beliefs. With the OSHA mandate, we don't have that privilege. So uh, not a fan of the mandates. What, what does that landscape look like in terms of the, the OSHA deal? Very timely question, and we, we don't know. Uh, we when, are, when, will, when would we, we know? We anticipate next week uh, we'll likely have some answers, and then obviously we'll, we'll disseminate that information to our team. Uh, we thought potentially by today, but based on what we're hearing through the close of business yesterday, it looks like it'll be next week. Is that, is that because you have Medicare and Medicaid? Is that where that all kind of ties in in terms of why that, why that would be governed by I'm using that in a, in a loose term by sure. the OSHA ruling. Sure. Well, um, one of the differentiating factors has been if you're a federal contractor, um, then the OSHA rules apply to you by virtue of us getting payment from the federal government. That means we're a federal uh, contractor. But Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Alabama, who doesn't provide direct care for anyone at their office in River Chase, but they're considered a federal contractor as well and having to face the same sort of decisions. So, um, again, I, I have believed personally that if you're working in a healthcare environment, it's a good idea to be vaccinated. I have also believed that if you do not choose to do so, that's your choice as, as an individual. Um, and, and, and while it might increase your risk um, of, of gaining a positive positive uh, condition for the virus uh, you understand that risk going in and and, and we support your decision so uh, I'm hopeful that the mandates are relaxed the, the OSHA mandate is relaxed because the playing field becomes increasingly unlevel for healthcare providers as opposed to uh, non-healthcare providers two parts to my next question what what would you say about the some of the preventative measures that are it advised to take but may not be focused upon you know taking your vitamins getting out in the sunlight getting exercise losing weight being overall generally healthy in that sense um and then secondly what about the alternative ways of getting treatment we mentioned the the help of monoclonal anti antibodies um even other drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, other things that have been mentioned over the course of two years that have become part of common nomenclature uh, these days. What do you say about that? Well, again, um, the, the water gets a little bit deep in hospital administration school. They didn't teach me how to clinically take care of people, so we have to be careful with <laughs> yes, that. Yes, of course. But, but I learn things <laughs> from people who are a lot smarter than me every day. And, and I think in general, um, what you just outlined, Michael, makes a whole lot of sense, and that is uh, for those who uh, practice good health habits, um, and, and I'll, I'll make it very simple, and that is for those who move more and eat less, you're generally healthier. Uh, that is, get into the gym. We have several gyms here in Sylacauga that, that have the ability to help us do that. Um, and, and, you know, diet, and, and my belief on diets has not uh, been you've got to eat uh, green things all the time that don't taste good and be healthy. Uh, just um, we spoke of rationing a moment ago. Uh, eat smaller portions um, and 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 move, and that seems to to help. So, anytime that that you are healthier overall, and what we're talking about a lot is uh, a, a positive COVID test, those that are healthier overall 
have a much higher percentage of being able to manage through that very effectively, at least what we're seeing with Omicron. That didn't necessarily hold true with Delta. I mean, it was uh, unfortunately uh, not unusual to see a 75-year-old come in and test positive with the Delta variant, be uh, quarantined for 10 days and breeze through and do just fine, and then have a 30-year-old come in that was otherwise healthy, and the outcome was very, very different, unfortunately. So to your point, let's, let's remain healthy. Um, we're not going to make decisions on how we treat you if you're healthy or not necessarily the picture of health. Uh, and do everything that we can to have those clinical solutions available to you, like the antibody infusions um, and that sort of thing. Relative to ivermectin, um, uh, some years ago I was in the horse business and gave horses ivermectin all the time, um, and then all of a sudden Walgreens starts carrying it to, to sell uh, with the onset of the pandemic. I don't know if it worked or not. I don't know if we have studies yet that indicate that it worked or not. But, you know, I think most people took the position, if that's something that could possibly help me, I'm going to take it and hope that it, it, that it does work. So we're, we're, we're willing to exhaust every solution possible to ensure good health for those who seek, seek care at CDMC. Glenn Sis, the CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center. Of course, uh, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the future of healthcare, and then we'll let you get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening and watching to Behind the Headlines. We'll be back in just a minute. Behind the Headlines, the weekly SiliconGanews.com podcast, where we take you behind the stories we tell and report here at SiliconGanews.com. We're still joined by Glenn Sisk, CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for giving some insight and some perspective onto things that I know so many people have questions about uh, over the last two years, it seems. Before we let you go, the future of healthcare, what does that look like for you? You've been in healthcare for 40 years. You've served as CEO for 20 plus years at Silicaga's Coosa Valley Medical Center here in town. What have you seen? Where, where do you see it going um, even in the next few years and even after your time as CEO? Well, um, Fun thing to not that you're going anywhere anytime soon. I just want to be hope not. I just want to be clear on that. That's <laughs> way down the line. Where do you see it going? Yes, sir. <laughs> um, it, it's fun to sort of get the crystal ball out and dust it off and, sure. and look ahead. And, and I think that's one of the things that that as leaders in the organization we are commissioned to do and, and responsible for. Um, what I would say first is that um, three years ago, I never imagined that healthcare would look like it does today. Um, the pandemic has changed the way we live our lives every day. The pandemic has uh, created changes and evolution in healthcare that we probably never imagined before. I mean, whoever imagined that um, three years ago you would have to see a security officer before you could walk in the hallways of a hospital to see your, your, your family member, that's changed pretty dramatically. So I think the new normal is our medicine today, uh, and that is uh, we, we have to be somewhat restrictive in terms of uh, the people that move in and out of hospitals. That's unfortunate at times. We don't like it much, but in fact, that's what we have to do. Um, we will continue to evolve in the way we treat people as it relates to the pandemic. What I, I will say to you, Michael, is I don't believe it's going away. I think it's with us to stay. 
uh, based on what we read and hear from the experts that study this every day, it looks like it's going to continue to be a part of our life going forward. Uh, I think one thing that will change is um, that, uh, as we're seeing with Pfizer now, who's done a fantastic job with the vaccine, they're developing a pill that uh, instead of having to get a needle in the arm, we can take a pill with a bottle of water, and perhaps that solves uh, the needs for us uh, going forward. Obviously, technology is going to continue to evolve. Uh, we'll be uh, installing a new MRI uh, CVMC in the coming months that we're super excited about that not only will take better pictures uh, uh, to be very simplistic, but it will move much more quickly. Um, and for those of your listeners out there who, like me, are uh, a little bit anxious about small spaces and deal with claustrophobia, the bore is... My mom is one of them. Yes, yes sir. Yes. The bore is much larger and significantly reduces those that can't tolerate that. So that's a good thing. That'll help our physicians and support team to be able to diagnose and treat people more effectively. Uh, the other thing that I would say to you, along with and in step with the development of technology and our ability to keep up, um, is the experience that people have. Um, when, uh, when you got your hair cut last, uh, you probably walked out to your car truck and on your phone you had a message that said, tell us about your experience. It was real time. Uh, we're doing that. We haven't done that very well in healthcare. Yes, we've done patient satisfaction surveys, but those might have been 30 days out when there was a problem that we needed to know about now that we needed to fix, and we didn't do so. Um, so we are working now on a plan. We have begun that sort of a soft rollout that uh, perhaps before you get to your car or before you go to bed the night of your experience, you'll have the ability to tell us about what that looked like. We want five stars. We're not going to be bashful about that. We want you to push that fifth star and say that was our experience. So not only clinically and technologically, that's our highest priority to remain in step. And I, I had this conversation with someone on the phone yesterday. I believe this, uh, and I've always believed this. If we can't clinically deliver a service at CVMC in Sylacauga, Alabama, that is on par with what happens in Birmingham at UAB, we don't need to be in that business. We need to stop. Uh, if we can deliver it, that's our intention. But uh, we want to do it perhaps a little differently. Uh, we want the, the, the soft touch to be a little more significant. We want our response time to be quicker. Uh, we want to be able to communicate with you perhaps better than the next organization does as it relates to your care. Uh, so all those things are, are very, very important to us going forward. Glenn Sisk, we really appreciate your time. Where can people find out more about Coosa Valley Medical Center? Well, back in the day, that used to be in newspapers and, and such, uh, and you'll see some billboards around town that our team does a great job with. But uh, go, to your, go to your phone, go to your tablet, go to your computer, uh, follow Radio Alabama and Silicaga News uh, and get those things in real time. But our website, obviously, is, is available. But uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our team does a fantastic job of keeping people updated on what the positivity rate looks like today uh, as it relates to COVID. And then many of the new services that will be coming, physicians, new physicians that are coming to town, that's a great way to learn more about them. So follow us on your favorite uh, social media platform.
Fantastic. Glenn Sisk, CEO of Coosa Valley Medical Center. Really thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of Behind the Headlines. Really appreciate you watching and listening wherever that may be, whether it's on a podcast platform, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Thank you so much. Give us a five-star rating, similar to what Glenn was just talking about. And also, if you're watching on our Facebook page or SillaCogaNews.com, be sure to share that with your family and friends. Until next time, we'll see you soon. This is behind the headlines.